brothers and sisters, you are tuned into the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast. I'm your host, Brother Eric. And as always, it is a pleasure to be back in the studio and before you again. So I'm back with another episode. And today's episode, I think you guys are going to enjoy and find interesting. <laughs> so today's topic, we're going to be talking about Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad, and the 48 Laws of Power. And so I think that this is a great historical study for us because the relationship between Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad is a relationship that fascinates a lot of people is a marriage, so to speak. I don't mean that in any homosexual uh, way, but it was a marriage that worked and these two achieved a lot together. They built a nation together and people are, fascinated with how this relationship deteriorated and where did it go wrong? And then essentially how did the deterioration of this relationship lead to the assassination, the outright murder of Malcolm X. So I want to start by talking about giving kind of a brief bio of both of these guys. And um, of course they're, in the case of Malcolm X, there's an autobiography, which you guys um, should read. And then in the case of Elijah Muhammad, there's several biographies that have been written about him. And the one that I recommend the most uh, would be uh, the one from Carl Evans. Um, it's called The Messenger. And of course, I've read um, excerpts from that uh, on this show. But there's another biography, I believe, by a guy named Klieg. I think it's called An Original Man or don't quote me on the title. But there's, there's a guy named Klieg that also wrote a book on the Elijah biography that I'm going to be um, reading to. And I may be bringing you guys some of that information here on the show. So to give a biography of Elijah Muhammad. He, of course, was born in the South, Sandersville, Georgia believe in the um, late 1800s and he witnessed a lot of racism here in the South lynchings. And at this time, it was a turbulent time for black people. His parents, or I believe his grandparents may have been slaves. And then from there, after slavery in America, you know about the sharecropping system that came about. And so there wasn't a lot of money being earned. He only went to school up until the fourth grade. And he had to leave school early to basically do manual labor. And this wasn't uncommon at this time in the South. He experiences all of this racism it gets so bad at this particular time that a lot of blacks at the time that Elijah became a young man, like let's say uh, early to mid twenties, that a lot of blacks begin just leaving the South in mass and going to Northern cities, going out to the Midwest, Los Angeles in some cases was heavily populated. And that's why you see a lot of people in California, they have Southern accents, to some degree, that's because a lot of them 
are immigrants from places like Alabama, et cetera. And then on the Eastern seaboard, people from uh, like from New York and uh, people that are in like the metropolitan, like tri-state area in New York and people in Connecticut, you notice that a lot of them have family from like North Carolina, South Carolina, sometimes Georgia, but people were leaving the South in mass due to the, the racism that was going on at the time, which was brutal. You know, Elijah Muhammad had a white guy show him an ear of a black person that uh, apparently a black person's ear was cut off and they showed it to Elijah as a young kid, lynchings taking place and things like that. And so him going out to the Midwest and encountering a Farad Muhammad and being taught a philosophy or religion in this case, that's saying that the white man is the devil. I don't think he needed too much convincing because he saw devilish acts carried out by white people in the South with those lynchings and everything that was going on. So that's kind of a brief bio. Of course, you know that he would eventually become the head of a religion. He would find a student named Malcolm X. That relationship would grow the, the organization into a multi-million dollar organization and lead to Elijah Muhammad being deemed the most powerful black man in America. And um, let me see who gave, I think it was the Time Magazine. Let me see something. The most powerful black man in America. I think it was Time Magazine, but somebody, some major publication had deemed Elijah Muhammad the most powerful black man in America. And he, he did rise to that level of stature, which is why we're talking about the 48 laws of power and the power dynamics, the power that Elijah Muhammad wielded and how he found himself in this um, powerful position. Now, members of the nation of Islam may think to themselves, he was just the prophet of Allah. He was the messenger of Allah. And that's how he found himself in this powerful position. I beg to differ. And today we're going to be looking at how Elijah Muhammad rose to power, the principles of power that he applied and how he was able to maintain his power for so long. Now, the book, The 48 Laws of Power, was written well after the time of Elijah Muhammad. I want to say that the, the 48 Laws of Power um, came out in the late. Let's see when it came out. I think it was the late 90s. Um, give me just a second here. Came out in 1998. So this is well after Elijah Muhammad's time. Elijah Muhammad was gone for over 20 years at this time, 23 years by the, by the time he was already gone, had already applied these principles decades before this book was written, but we're going to see how he was applying these principles uh, so well, despite the fact that this book was out before, I mean, after, well, after he had rose to prominence. So now we'll get into a brief bio of Malcolm X. Born in Omaha, Nebraska. His parents are members of the Garveyite movement. And so 
from a young age, he's already being taught kind of in a, he's already getting some black nationalist philosophy put in him from a young age. Also, his house is burnt down at a young age by white people. His dad is killed by white people for teaching this black nationalist uh, philosophy. And he is forced to grow up now without his dad. His mom has all of these children, but doesn't have anyone to help her, uh, like sustain her life or a provider. Her husband has been taken away from her. So she ends up in a mental institution. He ends up on the East coast in Boston and in, and in New York, but mainly in Boston and running the streets, running wild, really without too much parental guidance. His older sister, older paternal sister, Ella was of some guidance to him, but he is also missing a central father figure in his life. And this is kind of where these stories in a sense converge because Elijah becomes that father figure for Malcolm. Once Malcolm is, he goes, ends up, finds himself in prison and is introduced to the religion of Islam. Elijah Muhammad is reintroducing a lot of the, the message that Malcolm's dad was teaching. And Malcolm's dad was also a preacher. And so was Elijah Muhammad and his dad. Elijah Muhammad grew up in the Baptist tradition. And Malcolm X's dad was also a preacher. And Malcolm used to go around with his dad while his dad preached. And he was fascinated about how his dad preached. And he wanted to be a preacher just like his dad. And Elijah Muhammad's dad was a preacher. And Elijah Muhammad wanted to be a preacher just like his dad. And so you see these, these worlds kind of colliding here kind of colliding here not in a negative sense yet but i should say converging and why this this kind of worked in a sense because in malcolm elijah muhammad is finding someone that is a youthful minister full of energy is hitting the streets and is spreading this nation of islam philosophy temples are growing expeditiously i mean there was a joke said by Charles 37X, who used to be an assistant to Malcolm, or some people say a bodyguard to Malcolm. He would say that when Malcolm came into the nation of Islam, that you could fit all of the members of the nation of Islam in a station wagon and you would still have room. So upon Malcolm's joining this organization, the, he began to set up temples all over the country. And of course, temples means money. It means power. It means influence. Malcolm is debating and winning at colleges and universities. Now, I heard people talking about um, Elijah Muhammad wanted uh, Malcolm to spot, stop speaking at colleges um, because it was making white people hate on the nation of Islam even more or something like that. This is not... Um, completely true i think that what what happens here why elijah muhammad is beginning to have some conflict with malcolm speaking at colleges is because this is not something that draws recruits malcolm is debating at harvard and oxford and and things like that and he's not talking this religious bullshit that elijah's talking about 
there's no big who big head Yakub and the red germ and the white germ and all of that. Malcolm is at these colleges talking about actual political stuff that's going on, talking about the black man's plight and, and things like that. He's not teaching the religious bullshit of the nation of Islam. He's going to a higher level. And this isn't drawing in any converts. This is not making Elijah Muhammad any money. There's no new converts coming to this. All of this is doing is really um, making Malcolm and the nation of Islam, in a sense, maybe seem more uh, threatening, so to speak. But it's not necessarily giving Elijah Muhammad more power. So we're going to get into that as well. Um. So I'm going to start off now. I'm going to just get directly into the 48 Laws of Power, uh, which is a book written by Robert Greene. And I'm not going to read every chapter from the book, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go law by law. So this could be a long episode. Bear with me. I'm going to go law by law, read the principle of the law, and sh and then discuss where this went wrong or how this law was applied correctly or misapplied in the relationship dynamics between Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad. So law number one, never outshine the master. Ensure that those above you always feel superior. Go out of your way to make your bosses look better, feel smarter than anyone else. Everyone is insecure, but an insecure boss can retaliate more strongly than others can. Now, this goes back to the colleges thing. Elijah Muhammad, very intelligent man, an emotionally intelligent man. I never disqualify um, his intelligence. Um, but he doesn't have the kind of intelligence that's equipped for him to speak at universities and debate in the way that Malcolm is doing. Malcolm is slaying these white folks at Harvard, Oxford, Yale. He's slaying them. This man with an eighth grade education. Elijah Muhammad isn't really fit for this. And Malcolm in doing this and showing how intelligent he is and he's getting a lot of props for winning these debates. He's doing television interviews and people in the nation of Islam is, are beginning to kind of get jealous of seeing him shine like this. And so people in Elijah Muhammad's family, now mind you, there's also a power struggle not necessarily going on between just Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm. Elijah Muhammad's family now is getting involved in this because they were working menial jobs when Malcolm came into the nation. And Malcolm said, you know what? I don't think Elijah Muhammad is the messenger. His children shouldn't have to work for anyone. So Malcolm took up an offering, went out of his way, raised a collection and put them in a situation where they didn't have to work these menial jobs anymore. They became administrators in the nation of Islam. And they're, you know, they are driving nice cars. They have access to the treasury. They have fur coats. They're living in nice houses. And so as Malcolm begins to display revolutionary rhetoric, say more revolutionary things. And I guess you could say attract more government attention by taking things out of the um, 
political, out of the religious element, where which is where Elijah Muhammad shine, shines. And Malcolm is becoming, bringing a more political element into it. Why? Because Malcolm is for the people and sees this as a way that he can help the people. Um, mind you, this is during the time where the civil rights movement is taking place. So dogs are being sicked on little kids in the street that are protesting. Um, there's all kinds of uh, police uh, brutality going on during these protest marches. And Malcolm is witnessing this. And he's like, we're the nation of Islam. We have the fruit of Islam. We train in judo and karate. We have a paramilitary or a military organization that can protect these people in the streets. But the nation of Islam's approach is more of a religious approach. So if you want to be protected, Allah will protect you. You need to join the nation of Islam, etc., in order to get this type of protection. And everybody that's marching in the streets is a goddamn fool, etc. Now, while Malcolm may have believed that those people were fools for marching in the street like that and putting themselves in harm's way, I think that he respected the fact that they were willing to put themselves in harm's way. Even, and we're going to be talking about the relationship between um, Malcolm X and Dr. King, but I think that Malcolm X respected the fact that when he went to go see Dr. King in Alabama, that Dr. King was in jail. So he disagreed with Dr. King. But Dr. King was willing to put his freedom and his life on the line, which is something that after Elijah Muhammad does his four years in jail, he never puts his freedom and life on the line for the cause again. That's it. And we don't really know if that if when he did it the first time, if he was doing it intentionally or if he was just ignorant of the law. I think it's hard for me as a historian to really judge Elijah Muhammad's sincerity in the beginning, if he was sincere or if he just always wanted to be um, this powerful cult leader, so to speak, or powerful leader, powerful man. Um, so that aspect of when Elijah Muhammad had that change from sincere or insincere, when he first uh, went to jail for, they say, uh, teaching sedition uh, because he was basically telling people uh, not to register for the draft and that basically, um, you know, that was the white man's war and don't go fighting for the white man. So he he does time behind teaching this. But after that, after he does his time, that that was the last revolutionary act for Elijah, the last selfless. That was it from then on. It's about establishing power, maintaining power and uh, and dominance. Law number two, never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. Keep a close eye on your friends. They get envious and will undermine you. If you co-opt an enemy, he'll be more loyal than a friend because he'll try harder to prove himself worthy of your trust. So this goes this applies definitely to the situation where Malcolm began talking to the other ministers in the nation about the situation that Elijah Muhammad had with these young girls. Elijah Muhammad, of course, everyone knows there's a, it's a historical fact. 
even though he denied it at the time, got several um, young women pregnant, or as Malcolm said, his teenage secretaries, he got them pregnant. And of course he was denying it. And these women were kicked out of the nation of Islam on charges of fornication. This is one of the biggest problems that Malcolm had. It's not like Elijah Muhammad just got the women pregnant and said, Hey, I own it. Their minds, you know, I'm taking wives. No, he didn't claim that he was taking wives. He impregnated the teenage girls and then kicked them out of the nation of Islam on charges of fornicating when really they were fornicating and he was committing adultery with them. Malcolm is trying to find a way that when this story breaks, that the ministers will be aware and prepared for it. So he goes and starts talking to ministers that he trained. Louis X, who you know today is Louis Farrakhan, uh, Joseph X, um, later known as Yusuf Shah, Minister Isaiah, and several other ministers that were, um, some people have even termed them as Malcolm's ministers. A lot, uh, Farrakhan, and you will, you will go, if you go and listen to my podcast episode called Why is Louis Farrakhan's Name Redacted in Malcolm X's FBI File, you'll see that Farrakhan immediately uh, went to Elijah Muhammad and said that, hey, Malcolm is spreading rumors about you and these babies, et cetera, even though they already knew that Elijah Muhammad had these uh, illegitimate children going on. Elijah Muhammad knew that he had it going on. So these, these weren't rumors, but Malcolm put trust in them as friends. The law is never put too much trust in friends, learn how to use your enemies. And he put trust in these ministers as friends. And when Lewis X went back to um, Elijah Muhammad with this information, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm had a discussion about basically clearing this up and Malcolm asked Elijah Muhammad for the okay on this but there was because Elijah Muhammad spoke in a lot of cryptic language there was some miss I don't even want to say it was misunderstanding I think that the way that the that those ministers who Malcolm thought were his friends came back to Elijah Muhammad it was intentionally misleading and in a in a way to exacerbate um the growing tension between Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. Now, mind you also, I can't leave out at the time. If we read the COINTELPRO documents, um, and I believe it's Malcolm X's FBI file, you'll see that the FBI's goal at this particular time is the separation of, um, Malcolm X from Elijah Muhammad. So this is one of their goals for destabilizing the nation of Islam is and changing the direction of the teachings is to separate Malcolm and Elijah to to split up this marriage, to divorce this marriage between these two men. Law number three, conceal your intentions, always hide your true intentions, create a smokescreen. If you keep people off balance and in the dark, they can't counter your efforts. I believe that this is a law that Elijah Muhammad applied always. We people, you know, they never knew what Elijah Muhammad's true intentions was and that, you know, he was planning to build build the empire. He was very um, you're gonna see another law that applies 
to this even more with Elijah Muhammad. But there was a lot of smoke screen. He kept everyone off balance. And I think that Malcolm was a little straightforward in his approach. He was, you know, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want a political organization that does this, this, and this. And so he was very straightforward and it created a lot of enemies on the, on the black and white side of people that were jealous, people that, that were political opponents. And he didn't conceal his attention, his intentions. Law four, always say less than necessary. Say little and be ambiguous, leaving the meaning to others to interpret. The less you say, the more intimidating and powerful you are. This goes back to what I just said about Elijah Muhammad. So we have here another law that Elijah Muhammad applies correctly and Malcolm X didn't necessarily apply correctly. So always say less than necessary. Law number four, you see Malcolm uh, making statements like uh, the chickens come home to roost. I'm not saying that the statement was not truthful. The United States at that particular time was participating in a lot of international assassinations and they may have just assassinated their own president, uh, which is John F. Kennedy, who Malcolm X was making the state of statement about it, because there's no doubt in my mind that the mob might have been an end on the Kennedy hit. But certainly some internal force allowed uh, President Kennedy to be assassinated, um, if not directly participate in it. So Malcolm was correct in his statement. Um, and I'm not going into whether, uh, you know. The the. Uh, the conflict that um, came after the statement, but th those are kind of things that Elijah Muhammad, you won't hear him saying. Even when Malcolm uh, came to Elijah Muhammad about the babies, you hear Elijah Muhammad speaking to Malcolm once again, cryptically. Well, Malcolm, you've always been aware of spiritual things. I am like David in the Bible. I am like Abraham when he slept with his own daughters and he's bringing these cryptic messages. And he always is saying less than necessary. He never talks about anything directly. And I think that some of that was, was, um, helped some of the misunderstanding between, uh, the two a little bit, um, because Elijah Muhammad is always speaking in code. So when, even when he tells Malcolm, he's tell, he tells Malcolm, you need to go and put out that fire that you started. And give the babies milk. And he'll say things like, the people will know the difference between a clean glass of water and a dirty glass of water. And so Elijah Muhammad is always saying less than necessary. He's always speaking in these uh, cryptic um, parables and things like that, where once again, you have Malcolm very direct. Law number five. So much depends on reputation. Guard it with your life. Nurture and guard your reputation because reputation is integral to power. With a strong reputation, you can influence, intimidate, and intimidate others. I think that both of them um, did a good job of 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 this of of keeping up their reputation. Um, Elijah Muhammad was ruthless about his reputation. The fact that that it could get out to the public that he had impregnated these teenage secretaries and all the other things that he was doing made him ruthless in terms of, um, you know, being willing to kill over this kind of thing, because make no doubt about it. They were willing to kill Malcolm X. And I heard somebody saying, um, you know, 
there could have been reconciliation at some point between the two. But this was a very small window because what would Malcolm be um, reconciling with? Because if if people are saying that Elijah Muhammad is essentially a pedophile, do we expect Malcolm X to um, reconcile with the fact that his uh, his teacher, who was supposed to be an example of spiritual excellence, mind you, at this time, the nation of Islam, if you got caught fornicating, you could be suspended for years, kicked out of the nation completely. They kick people out of the nation for this. Malcolm's own brother, Reginald, was kicked out of the nation for fornication and ended up in a mental institution for years. I think up in, for, for quite some time. And so Malcolm had to shun his own brother on the fact that his brother committed fornication and was kicked out of the nation. Now, his brother told him at the time Malcolm didn't believe him, believe him. His brother told him that Elijah Muhammad was doing the same thing. And Malcolm just thought that the guy was crazy. But Elijah Muhammad was actually doing the same thing. And he was suspending people instead of him being put on trial. For his actions, he was putting the women on trial and then suspending. And I also heard another another false rumor that um, Malcolm X was asking for there to be some elections in the nation of Islam to um, elect Elijah Muhammad out of his position. This is totally false. They never had any elections in the nation of Islam. There was no voting or anything like that in the nation of Islam. What Malcolm X asked for was a trial. They had trials in the nation of Islam, which the women who accused, uh, I mean, the women who would eventually accuse um, Elijah Muhammad, they were put on trial and then kicked out. Elijah Muhammad was finding them guilty and kicking them, kicking them out of the nation. Malcolm, anyone that was kicked out of the, the nation of Islam at this time was given a trial, except Malcolm X. He was never given a trial. So what Malcolm X said was not that he wanted to have some um, election to uh, elect Elijah Muhammad out of his role, which they didn't have elected leaders in the nation of Islam. Elijah Muhammad just deemed himself as the messenger of Allah. And that was it. There was no elections in the nation of Islam. So this notion about elections is totally false and complete bullshit. What the nation of Islam did have was trials. And Malcolm, they wanted to kick Malcolm out of his house. And um, and let me also say that Malcolm didn't reveal the information about the uh, teenage secretaries until months after they had already been making attempts on his life. And it was outside of the courtroom where they were trying to take his house from him and kick him out on the street, kick him and his family out on the streets while his wife is pregnant with twins. That's when he eventually reveals the information. He holds on to it for quite some time through a couple murder attempts. I'll, I'll get, get into the timeline, but Malcolm X didn't just leave the nation of Islam and say, Hey, Elijah Muhammad is fucking a bunch of teenagers and he got him pregnant and whatever on day one. That's, that's not the, that's an incorrect timeline. And anybody that tries to paint that timeline is full of shit. That is totally incorrect. Malcolm uh, would officially leave the, the nation of Islam in March. But mind you, even in January is where it said that Captain Joseph was already speaking to um, P. 
people up in Boston to get a silencer and also to wire Malcolm's car to explode. So we have, and at this time, Malcolm is actually still in the nation. Thankfully for Malcolm and, and God's grace, this person that Captain Joseph reached out to in Boston was an old running buddy of Boston that knew Malcolm. Uh, I think his name was Leon 4X Amir. And they, uh, the, the Boston Muslims up there with Louis Farrakhan and Clarence Gill, they beat the guy crazy, almost killed him. And then I think that they eventually killed him after Malcolm died. The, the, this was crazy brutality going on at this time too, over trying to get rid of Malcolm or whatever. But at this time, Malcolm has, has said nothing about the babies yet in public. It's only after they begin uh, trying to basically kick him on the street and humiliate him and have him be him and his family be homeless eventually. And after several murder attempts that did he eventually say, say something, but Malcolm told them that, Hey, I just, I want my trial. Let's have a trial and then we could put everything on the table. Of course, Elijah Muhammad wasn't going to allow Malcolm to have a trial because then the truth would be, would come out in the, in, in this trial. Um, so they actually kicked Malcolm out of the nation of Islam without a trial and then made it appear as if, um, he left, but I wanted to correct that because there's, there's a false rumor going around that Malcolm says something about there. He wanted to hold some elections. Not true. Um, where was I at? Oh, that was law number five. We're going to go to law number six, create an air of mystery, be outrageous or create an aura of mystery. Any attention, positive or negative, is better than being ignored. Attention brings you wealth. I think that um, Malcolm followed part of this and then he missed on part of this. Elijah Muhammad was completely about mystery. Um, I don't know if it was just due to circumstances um, with his health, but, you know, Malcolm was out in the streets, out in Harlem speaking. Um, he was fishing, bringing in converts. Elijah Muhammad was pretty much a man on the wall that wore this fez that had stars on it and jewels. And he was a myst mystical short man. Reminds you of a, just somebody from like an extraterrestrial or something. So he had this historic, this uh, mysterious uh, aura about himself. Um, you could argue that Malcolm had some mystery about him. People were curious about um, a man that was bold enough to go into the street and say that the white man was the devil. But I think Elijah, Ma Elijah Muhammad's mystique was even more religious, so to speak, where Malcolm X's mystique was like fascinating and political and like, who is this man? Where does he um, like, where does somebody from our, um, from our people come like this? Like Malcolm X is like one of us, mysterious elijah muhammad is like otherworldly mysterious it's like sometimes it's like this this guy is almost like not even black um i mean and then of course there is a lot of admixture in his uh dna of course and uh you look at his lips and things like that they're not exactly the most african lips and african features but that's neither here nor there i'm just going to say for law number six elijah muhammad definitely created mystery about himself um, in terms of any attention, positive or negative, is better than being ignored. Attention brings you wealth. I think Malcolm absolutely understood that. Um, and he made comments um, about a plane that crashed in Georgia. 
And let me explain why Malcolm made these comments. 1962, we had the, the issue that happened out in L.A. With um, Muslims are taught to defend themselves. But basically, non-Muslims, I think, well, one of them was killed. Non-Muslims were attacked out in L.A. at their mosque by the police. And of course, Malcolm wanted them to defend themselves, so to speak. Elijah Muhammad would not give the go on this. And of course, it had a lot to do a lot to do with um, the the royal family and et cetera. Um, basically, they don't they didn't want their organization being torn down. Now, some people have said that Elijah Muhammad said, I'm not going to send my followers to be slaughtered. Of course, that this is a this is a um, almost like a religious type of uh, interpretation of of basically Elijah Muhammad is given religious theology to justify him not putting his money magnet on the line. Uh, because you, of course, you saw after Malcolm, you had organizations like the Black Panthers and other organization organizations that did have uh, police conflict. Um, and, you know, they just weren't for their they just weren't for being attacked. They were going to defend themselves. But of course, Elijah Muhammad, um, he removed Malcolm um, from L.A. Malcolm wasn't able to really do anything in LA. Elijah Muhammad moved him from LA. Your friend Rodney, uh, your friend Ronald Stokes, I believe his name was, who actually served into the military. He was killed by the police in LA in this situation. Malcolm had known him for years. Betty Shabazz said that actually this was the first time she ever saw Malcolm cry was when this man was killed. So Elijah Muhammad pretty much you know, they say that Muslims are supposed to defend themselves. They talk all of this talk about the white man being the devil and this and that. Elijah Muhammad's followers get killed in L.A. And of course, he does nothing actually to make matters worse and to piss Malcolm off further. He he said that it was Rodney Stokes fault and that basically Rodney Stokes got killed because he didn't have enough faith. So, of course, this is like just even more troubling with the religious interpretations and this religious bullshit that Malcolm is, I mean, that uh, Elijah Muhammad is espousing, basically saying that this man got killed because he didn't have enough faith in, I guess, him and Allah or whatever. And that basically Elijah Muhammad is like, we're not doing shit about this. And the royal family, of course, this is this is a million dollar organization we run in here. Elijah Muhammad is flying on private jets in the early 60s. Now, imagine. If I'm flying a private jet today, you would think I'm pretty well off. And he's not chartering the jet. He has a jet. So he's not just chartering, like paying charter fees. Forget. No, he has a jet. In the 1960s, Elijah Muhammad is rolling like this. Private jet in the 60s. 18 bedroom house, I believe, in Chicago. He's rolling in the dough. He's rolling in the dough. He has... He's rich by today's standards. So you got to like almost quadruple that for the time that they was in where a loaf of bread was like 10 cent. You could get a hot dog for uh, 25 cent. And, you know, like this was a time where before inflation hit where things didn't cost as much as they do today. So this man is rolling in the dough. He's not about to put his organization on the line 
um, making any type of political or militaristic stance um, against the LAPD. And so this plane crashes in Georgia while Malcolm, I think, shortly after this has happened. And mind you, the Nation of Islam has this tough talk. The white man is the devil. Anybody put their hands on you, you send them to the cemetery. Now somebody, the white man has put their hands on Muslims and Muslims ain't doing shit. And Malcolm is in the street, even though his um his mind is is not of like a street mind. He still is relating to people in the street and talking to people in the street. And he has to go back to Harlem. So, of course, the people going to be like, what's up, Malcolm? White man put the hands on you. Don't look like you you doing shit. And Elijah Muhammad is like, hey, we wait on Allah, blah, 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 blah. So Malcolm has to go back to Harlem on this bullshit that we just waiting on Allah. And that's it. Even though you've been talking all of this retaliatory stuff for all of these time. And you best believe had a black organization attack the Muslims. Elijah Muhammad would have responded. He only didn't respond with violence because they were white. Organizations that have attacked the nation of Islam that were that didn't that didn't even attack them violently were attacked by the nation of Islam. So, for instance, I got to do a segment on this, but you can research this for yourself. I believe the nation of Islam um, attacked the Black Panthers at one point in time, and I don't think the Black Panthers ever attacked them violently, but they said something about Elijah Muhammad or something like that, and they attacked them just for saying something about Elijah Muhammad. So they didn't wait for Allah. They just attacked black people. They didn't wait for Allah to deal with Malcolm or wait for Allah to deal with Amir 4X and all of the people that were, because it wasn't just Malcolm X that was killed during this time. You had Benjamin Brown that was shot. There was a lot of people that died in this in these little exchanges, people whose names um, may be footnotes in history, but there was a lot of people that died. The Nation of Islam killed, and they didn't wait for Allah to kill them. They just killed black people because they wanted to. Uh, and the... The Hanafi murders, which we talked about down in Philadelphia, where they went and they they killed this whole family, even babies that were like three months old, so small that when the police took the baby out the sink, that they thought that it was a doll, but they realized it was an actual human baby that these people from the Nation of Islam killed, and they didn't wait on Allah for it. Anyway, this plane crashes in Georgia shortly after this. And Malcolm is like, you know, he's dramatic with it. He's like, thank God. And it was all white people on the plane. So he was almost using this as a, a symbol of justice to his people that was expecting the nation of Islam to do something because they've been talking all this tough talk. He's like, see, thank God. A bunch of crackers from Georgia just died on this plane. So this is what put him in a situation to even make a comment about that because his hands were tied. Elijah Muhammad wasn't even allowing him to do anything else. So he just pretty much took that as justice that this plane crashed with these, uh, I think he said Georgia crackers on it. And he took that as justice. Why were the people in the nation of Islam mad about this? Some of them, Jeremiah Shabazz, who eventually would be the minister in Philadelphia and was the minister at the time that the Hanafi murders took place. Jeremiah Shabazz at this time was in Atlanta. And some white people said something about some white people from Georgia said something to Jeremiah Shabazz about this, about Malcolm's statement. So this is why they were mad at Malcolm, because white people were mad at them. So they felt uncomfortable. 
had it just been black people, they would have just killed them. So they were uncomfortable about Malcolm's statement about the plane falling out the sky, which she only made because y'all didn't do shit when uh, Rodney Stokes, Rodney Stokes was killed out in L.A. Well, that's one of the reasons he made it. But they were feeling the pressure from white people. So they kind of took that instead of responding to those white people that was asking them about Malcolm's question. They just got mad at Malcolm and say, hey, you putting us in danger by saying this stuff that you're saying. You putting us in danger. Which Malcolm was in the same danger as the rest of you guys. You know, it's not like Malcolm walked the streets with Fruit of Islam security and he had all these bodyguards with him. Malcolm was, wasn't even rolling with bodyguards even after he, he began feuding with the nation. He was still um, walking around solo. They firebombed his house. He went to Detroit alone. After they firebombed his house, they like to say that about far. He came here alone. No, Malcolm was the one that was moving alone. After they firebombed his house, he went to Detroit where the Nation of Islam was founded. They firebombed his house February 14th. He spoke in Detroit, I believe, um, right after that happened. Either the 14th or the 15th. I know he gave a, a presser on the 15th. I'm not sure if that presser was in New York or Detroit, but he spoke in Detroit. Right after his house was firebombed and he didn't go there with bodyguards. He went there alone. So he wasn't in he and he's a, a more popular face than anybody else. So he wasn't putting y'all in any more danger than than he was in. But they took a lot of this, like the Kennedy statement and things like that, that would bring them heat from white people. They took that stuff out on Malcolm. If it was black people, they would just go ahead and kill him. And that would be the end of it. Um. Let's go on to our next law. I, let me let me make sure I explain. So, yeah, so I explained that that's why Malcolm made the statement um, in terms of the statement he made about the plane. And he, he said, thank God that the plane fell out of the sky. It was pretty much the only retaliatory thing that happened, which happened by chance that these white people from Georgia died. I think it was like, I don't know how many people was on the plane, but to my knowledge, they were all white. And he said, thank God. And the crowd erupted. See, this is another thing, too. It's not like the crowd um, was booing Malcolm when he said these things. When Malcolm said that the chickens came home to roost in his response to the Kennedy thing, the crowd erupted. When Malcolm made this statement about the Georgia crackers, the crowd erupted. Like people were were feeling Malcolm. Malcolm was. He he touched people to the heart in in just a very special way. Law number eight. Oh, no. Number law number seven. Get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit. Get others to do your work for you. Use their skill, time and energy to further your ambitions while taking full credit. You'll be admired for your efficiency. This is a perfect um, thing. Elijah Muhammad executed this to the T as a, I think that Elijah Muhammad um, didn't miss a mark when it and, and researching this. Um, I don't think Elijah Muhammad missed any of these laws, to be honest with you. It's kind of a spoiler alert. I think he pretty much lived up to all of them. Um, but this is the one of them that, that I think that he executed so perfectly that it still works to this day because Malcolm was giving Elijah Muhammad credit for everything that he was doing sometimes, which was credit that he didn't deserve. There were things that were instilled in Malcolm from his family, from his own studies and things like that. Malcolm talked about international things that were just above and beyond anything that 
Elijah Muhammad was talking about. He had knowledge of Fidel Castro, Patrice Lumumba, all of these African leaders, the Bandung Conference and all of these international things and colonialism and what colonial power ruled over this people and why these people speak French and these people speak Spanish and these people speak Portuguese. Elijah, I mean, Malcolm X had a, he was just very well versed. He, he, he was versed in religions and he had studied so many things that were just above um, Yaqub's theory and the lessons of the nation of Islam, you know, the questions and answers of the, Malcolm has studied a lot of things that were really well above what Elijah Muhammad was teaching, but he still gave him credit. And everybody in the nation of Islam gives Elijah credit for who they are. And it's like, you still have people that give Elijah Muhammad credit for everything. You know, some of these people in the nation of Islam, um, you know, if they have food on their table, when they say their grace, they may say, you know, thank you God for this food and, and thank Elijah Muhammad. I mean, these people have, a um, religious zeal with giving the man all of the credit. And it was Malcolm that was out building those temples and fishing and going from mind you, he wasn't in safe neighborhoods when he's hitting the streets like this. I mean, these are dangerous neighborhoods. You could be, anything can happen in these spots that, that Malcolm was hitting in Detroit and Chicago and Baltimore, DC. He was pounding the pavement, taking all of the chances, all of the risk or whatever. And then giving Elijah Muhammad all of the credit. And then the people in the mosque, people that were out on the street selling bean pies, selling newspapers from sunup to sundown, doing all of the work, giving Elijah Muhammad all of the credit. And they are having to buy these newspapers when they don't sell them. And, and I'm going to roll through the rest of the laws more smoothly. But let me also make this point um, in terms of the financial institutions that Elijah built. And he's given all of these credit, all of this credit as a almost like a uh, a financial genius so to speak and i'm going to tell you why that is um not completely true because elijah muhammad for the most part if you are selling newspapers and basically everybody that's selling newspapers have to buy them all, then that means that you have to, like, you have guaranteed profit. So basically it's almost like a slave system. So basically they tore it against the slavery of the white man and then replicated the slavery of the white man by having people work all day and all night, et cetera, et cetera. And basically they didn't really earn a whole lot of living wage from this kind of stuff. Some people did begin to start their own businesses and they did okay, but pretty much the newspaper and bean pie system that they had going on was slavery. And so this led to, you know, him being able to have these private jets and, you know, open up all these other businesses and things like that was because, you know, he was getting money pretty much uh, hand over fist. And that was pretty much due to the fact that, you know, dude was rolling. He was rolling in the dough and he had them people out there on the streets, um, giving them, getting his bread for him. And he had guaranteed money. So, you know, if, if you telling everybody that they have to sell 200 newspapers per week, then 
that means that they have to buy 200 newspapers per week, then you know how much money you're going to make. And then they can arbitrarily say, okay, this week we need you to sell 300. And so that means that they have to buy 300. And if they buy 300 and they have a, and they only sell 200, then that means that they just took a loss on those, those 100 newspapers that they bought. So this is kind of how they were rolling at, 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 the, at the particular time. And, but despite the slavery and all of the, uh, everything that was going on, Elijah Muhammad was still getting all the credit for it. So that law number seven, he mastered. Make other people come to you. Use bait if necessary. Make your opponent come to you when you force others uh, to act. You're in control. Bait them, then attack. Um, you know, I could go into a story on, on him doing that, but I won't. I don't I'll just say he didn't break the law. And um I don't know if Malcolm necessarily broke that one either. Um there was some I mean you could say that Malcolm may have broke that one, but Elijah definitely didn't. Law number nine win through your actions, never through argument. Demonstrate your point rather than arguing. Arguing rarely changes anyone's mind, but people believe what they see they're also less likely to be offended. And you can see that Malcolm was trying to make his point. Um, like, hey, let me have a trial. Let me have whatever. Elijah Muhammad was like, okay, we'll just kick your ass out the nation and then we'll kick you out the house and then we'll try to kill you or we will kill you, and but we'll make several attempts in doing it in the process, etc. Elijah Muhammad wasn't about no um, arguing. He wasn't about to say too much more than I didn't sleep with the girls or whatever. It, it wasn't going to be an intellectual type of thing. It's like, hey, I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to kill you. And that's going to be the end of it. So law number nine, definitely Elijah Muhammad. Infection. Avoid the unhappy and the unlucky. Avoid miserable people. The perpetually miserable spread misery like an infection. They'll draw it on to you. I would say that Elijah Muhammad, he made sure that he didn't get himself caught up in no uh, civil rights struggle or no um, no struggle for our people that didn't directly benefit him. So if they, if he was helping out in the struggle, he was making sure that he was basically helping himself out and lining his pockets and his family and ministers. They were going to make sure that they lined their pockets. Cause mind you, these ministers knew what was going on with Elijah. They knew about the young secretaries and they knew that people had been getting kicked out of the nation for this. Maybe, you know, even more than just kicked out. Uh, but they didn't give a fuck. None of the ministers left with Malcolm. There was a lot of people that did leave the nation of Islam when these rumors came out about Malcolm X. They just weren't people that were ministers. The ministers were making money and they just didn't. Law number 12. Oh, no. Law number 11. Learn to keep people dependent on you. Make your, make your superior dependent on you. The more she needs you, the more security and freedom you have to pursue your goals. I think Elijah Muhammad did a great job of this as well. Um, when he was working with Fard, I think that Fard did depend on him. Fard gave him some assignments, go to this city, go to that city. So he did make his um, superior depend on him somewhat. But by the time that he became Elijah Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad, Elijah Muhammad, he had completely mastered this law to the point where his whole family now was dependent on him for their livelihood so i mean at certain points when he would just get into conflicts with his children especially wallace who who was one of was pretty much the only child that took issue with anything that his uh father was doing um 
he would just cut off the money flow or just kick Wallace out of the nation or whatever. So he, the, the, those children were dependent on him and they were, uh, and those ministers were dependent on him. So Malcolm technically was at this time, he was a minister of the nation and was dependent on him. And so basically when they begin to come into conflict, Elijah Muhammad, who had gifted Malcolm a, a house was like, Hey, you know, you about to get about, you know, and that we got to go into a con to the conflict about the house. Right? I won't do it today. Cause I want to keep uh, moving through these laws. Um, law number 12, use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. Use honesty and generosity to disarm and distract others from your schemes. Even the most suspicious people respond to acts of kindness, leaving them vulnerable to manipulation. So once again, ironically, I was just talking about the house that Elijah gave to Malcolm. Um, and this was really at the point where Malcolm had done so much for Elijah and um, Elijah gifted him. And there was other things going on. And Malcolm could have really just been well off if he just shut up and went along with everything that Elijah was doing. And mind you guys, it's, it's not just, a, it wasn't just about the babies. There was money being stole and, and taken from different places with Elijah's family. There was the, just the, the lack of general sincerity, meaning that this organization is not what the fuck it says it's about. It's preaching black nationalism on one level, but the shit is really about exploitation, making money off of people, building up a royal family, and the ministers also living high off the hog. So it's not really just the babies. It's the babies and everything else. It's the whole organization being a fraud and a criminal organization because at this particular time, there were drug ranks that were beginning to form. We know for sure in the Philly mosque, it would go widespread. But according to Charles 37X, Malcolm had busted up a drug ring that had took place in Philly that was going on in Philly and that basically they wanted to, some of them Philly cats wanted to kill Malcolm behind that. Um, so yeah, Elijah Muhammad was really good at using selective honesty. He only told you what you needed to know. He, he used generosity. He gave gifts and he could also take away gifts. Law number 13, when asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, never to their mercy or gratitude. When you need help from someone in a position of power, appeal to their self-interest. They'll be glad to help. If they'll get uh, something in return, you'll get what you want without seeming too desperate or irritating. I'll keep rolling. Law number 14, pose as a friend, work as a spy. Be friendly, sympathetic, and interested to get people to reveal their deepest thoughts and feelings. When you know what your opponent's secrets, you can predict uh, his behavior and control him. Um, I'll just say that there were ministers in the nation of Islam and I ain't going to even mention dude's name again. Cause I don't even feel like it, but there were ministers in the nation of Islam that were definitely there working as a spy. And they got close to Malcolm had Malcolm reveal his deepest thoughts and feelings. And then they used it against him. Elijah Muhammad was too wickedly intelligent to have something like that happen to him. Malcolm X, I think, um, unfortunately, uh, he failed with this law. Crush your enemy totally. Crush your enemy completely. If you leave even one ember of smoldering, if you leave even one ember smoldering, it will eventually ignite. You can't afford to be lenient. Okay, so I think that Elijah Muhammad thought that he was doing that he was crushing Malcolm completely by killing him. Fortunately, I think that Malcolm X's legacy, um, 
outshines and outlives Elijah Muhammad, especially outside of the nation of Islam. Inside of the nation of Islam, of course, everything is about Elijah, 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 Elijah. But Malcolm X has just penetrated and inspired so many people outside of the context of Islam. And by killing them and trying to crush them completely, I think that it served Elijah Muhammad's purposes for that time. But it did eventually make Malcolm bigger. Wallace uh, Warif Dean, Elijah Muhammad's seventh son said that Elijah Muhammad was very relieved um, at the news of Malcolm X's death. This is another thing that, you know, people talk about reconciliation and all this other kind of stuff. So you got one, on one instance, you have the idea of Malcolm reconciling in, into a criminal organization where there's criminal activities going on that may even involve, you know, forms of pedophilia, et cetera which is problematic within itself. You just even mentioning romanticizing uh, Malcolm reconciling with crime and, and exploitation and all of the things that the nation was doing at this time. <coughs> Very problematic to even romanticize uh, reconciliation in that way. Also, we are forgetting that even according to the FBI documents, Elijah Muhammad is starting to make his cryptic statements like it's time to close his eyes once again. And he's referring to Malcolm by him. It's time to close his eyes. And so I actually had somebody ask me one time upon me, somebody who's in the nation of Islam. Um, they asked me, you know, what do I think Elijah Muhammad meant by that? And I'm like, well, if I, if I said to somebody about you, it's time to close your eyes. That would mean that I'm trying to murder you. What would you think that I was saying about you? So we have to mean sometimes people in the nation of Islam try to clean that kind of stuff up and try to question the, the FBI recordings. He said that about Malcolm. And then we had Elijah Muhammad Jr., who was um, always seen as the, he was the sixth son of Elijah Muhammad, always seen as the mouthpiece of Elijah Muhammad. He came to New York called for people to come to Malcolm's house, house, cut Malcolm's tongue out of his mouth and whatever. And people sure enough, uh, Malcolm went to go move his car and there were some guys out of, outside of his house, wielding knives, trying to attack him. Luckily, Malcolm was able to get in his car, pull off quickly and escape. So there, Elijah Muhammad Jr. called for people to come and cut Malcolm's tongue out. And there were people outside of Malcolm's house with knives, uh, presumably trying to cut his tongue out as they were instructed by Elijah Muhammad Jr. Who was the mouthpiece of Elijah Muhammad. And he would not have been able to talk like this without the, um, without the permission of Elijah Muhammad. He was given permission uh, to talk like this. And also Malcolm, uh, Malcolm understood as well. And he, he remind you, he still has some people in the nation that cared about him as well. Malcolm also understood that, um, that the things that were happening to him, um, on that, on the count of the nation, um, could not happen without Elijah Muhammad's approval approval. Of course, there were other things that were beginning to happen to Malcolm that were bigger than the nation of Islam, international stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But we're talking about the stuff where there is obviously nation of Islam bombing, like, 
I mean, uh, when obviously the nation of Islam plays a role. So, for instance, the bombing of his house. Some people try to justify the fact that that the nation of Islam said that Malcolm uh, bombed his own house because the fire chief uh, said that there was a bottle planted there. Well, we know that the bottle was planted there by somebody else. Malcolm was not a drinker. It was some type of liquor bottle or something like that. And later, the truth of the matter is that um, it was basically all but confessed on a set of a movie called Brother Minister by Joseph Shaw, uh, Joseph Shaw or Joseph X, former the person that tried to have Malcolm's car bomb, that basically Joseph X admitted to participating in the the New York bombing. And mind you, he was the captain of the New York Moss. And in walking distance from Malcolm's house is where Farrakhan's brother Alvin X lived. So it's often believed that, that this is why they were able to get away and escape and so quickly and so smoothly um, because of the proximity. Like if you stand at Malcolm X's house and spit, it would land on uh, Farrakhan's brother's house. And there's always been always been said that there was some involvement between uh, with Alvin X um, because of the proximity of his home and some other factors. But the main one being just the closeness and that that was basically an easy um, escape route out for them um, was, was uh, through this home of um, this home of um, Alvin X, so to speak. So, which was like, like I said, if you spit at Malcolm X's house, it would land uh, down the street at Alvin's uh, house. All right. And so let me get back to my overall thing so in terms of crushing your enemy completely and totally um in a sense you could argue that elijah you know he he was relieved at malcolm's murder he was able to execute it without it coming back to him etc i'm sure that the government was also relieved at the murder and then short shortly after malcolm's murder the government was so happy with the stuff that elijah muhammad was doing that they essentially said that he was no longer a threat and they just stopped spying on him altogether. Um, and they begin to put their resources other elsewhere and begin to start studying and spying on um, other more revolutionary groups. Black Panthers would soon be out. Of course, Dr. King was being heavily uh, surveilled and spied on at this time. Um, so they eventually just begin to see uh, Elijah Muhammad as pretty much a persona non grata this was just a guy that was about his money. They started to see that uh, he was not about black nationalism. I believe that Elijah Muhammad even had the government fooled. I believe that he did such a good job that he had the government fooled that he was really into this black stuff that he was preaching. And it took years and years of studying and studying the organization and studying Elijah Muhammad and psychological profiles that they had built up. And they would eventually see that, you know, Malcolm was the one that was more, um, politically inclined Elijah Muhammad was more religiously inclined but he also was wielding a lot of power and it's very interesting that despite the fact that this book was written well well after Elijah Muhammad had lived I guarantee you you'd be hard pressed to find a law in this book that Elijah Muhammad broke use absence uh, we're going to go to law 16 so law 15 was crush your enemy totally Crush your enemy completely. If you leave one ember smoldering, it will eventually ignite. 
you can't afford to be lenient. So Elijah Muhammad, he applied that to the best of his, uh, best of his ability. But I think that Malcolm's legacy outside of the nation of Islam is just still shines. Malcolm has touched generations and generations after uh, his death. And people know who he is. They know his, a lot of them know about what he taught and what he stood for. Elijah Muhammad is a religious figure and, and he's well-respected and they give him all the credit and all of that stuff within the nation of Islam outside of the nation of Islam. Malcolm X is international and in other countries you have statues to Malcolm X in Cuba. And like this guy is an international revolutionary in Africa. He just he has inspired so many people. Elijah Muhammad has pretty much inspired the members of his cult and people that are born in, into that cult. And then people that just follow after those teachings where Malcolm X became just um, larger than life in his death and really just, just blew up um, in a manner where he wasn't uh, crushed completely. And I think that they actually added s some more to his story because through the competition that he um, experienced with um, the, not the competition, but through the, um, the ad uh, that adversity that he had to overcome, you know, doing all those speaking engagements while his life was on the line from the government, from the NOI overcoming all that adverse adversity. I think it just inspires so many people um, to, to study this man and everything um, after his death. And he's larger than he's larger than the nation of Islam. He's larger than the cult and he's larger than Elijah Muhammad today. Um, so I think that, Killing Malcolm X served Elijah Muhammad's immediate purpose. I think that there were things that Malcolm X knew that were beyond just what he shared. Um, he had a list of names in his pocket, which he didn't get to speak up, speak about the day that he was assassinated. He had a list of names in his pocket, which was taken out of his pocket. Um, allegedly by John 67 X also known as Abdullah Razak, who has said some weird, crazy, stupid shit in order to try to absolve the nation from his role in Malcolm X's assassination. And he's and pretty much all of the people that were around Malcolm at that time, um, pretty much had a, a heavy distrust for this guy and, uh, pretty much saw him as a, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like a, uh, a spy either for the government or for some other, um, you know, maybe he was a spy for the nation of Islam, but they definitely saw him as a spy. Um, this is, uh, John 67 X Abdullah Razak. He has some, uh, he has some interviews and stuff on, um, on YouTube that you could, um, of course learn a few things about Malcolm from, but, Generally, he just seems like a person of uh, shady character and, and shady nation and uh, sh a shady nature. Um, according to a lot of the people that were around during that time, they, they were very suspicious of him. And he was moving very funny style around the time that Malcolm was assassinated and especially after Malcolm was assassinated. Let me uh, keep perusing through these laws. Use absence to increase respect and honor. Once you've become well known, don't wear out your welcome. The more you're seen and heard from, the more you cheapen your brand. Once again, Elijah Muhammad executed this to the T. He rarely did speaking engagements like, you know, 
Savior's Day was a speaking engagement. Uh, you know, yeah, to see Elijah Muhammad speaking in interviews and things like that, very rare. Malcolm is out moving amongst the people, whatever. Elijah Muhammad is not amongst the people. He's a picture on the wall. He's a religious, uh, mystical icon that seems almost as if he's from out of space. And so this is how Elijah is moving at this at this particular time. And it, once again, we see that it is in accordance uh, with the 48 laws of power. So he definitely used absence to increase his respect and honor. Some of that could have been due to the fact that he wasn't um, always in the best of health, which also created more urgency to get Malcolm out the way at certain times, especially in 1962, where Elijah Muhammad is failing in health. I think that at this particular time, even Elijah Muhammad believed that his that he wouldn't be around for much longer. That you know, you know, he could be almost out of the picture. Um, that his death was imminent. So, um, unfortunately, he did live um, quite you know past the time um, that he was expected, and then that uh, of course that that led to the expulsion of Malcolm X and all of these players that wanted to stay living this lifestyle and were benefiting uh, basically off of the religious teachings. They wanted to stay in power. And so of course they needed to get Malcolm removed law. Number 18, do not build a fortress to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. Never isolate yourself when under pressure, this cuts you off from information you need. And when real danger arises, you won't see it coming. Once again, I, I, I will say that um, just briefly, Elijah Muhammad didn't break this law. He had a lot of people running to him, giving him information. Joseph X constantly calling, calling, giving Elijah all the information, snitching on Malcolm wherever he can. Lewis X, same thing, etc. And other ministers all feeding him information. And he even wrote a letter to Wallace about how he had spies and he even had spies around Malcolm. So that makes you think about um, John 67 next to Abdullah Razak, who I talked about earlier. Law number 19, know who you're dealing with. Do not offend the wrong person. When attempting to deceive someone, know who you're dealing with so you don't waste your time or stir up a hornet's nest in reaction. I think this is, once again, something that Elijah always understood. A rule here that Malcolm may have broke. He, he, he had conversations and trusted some of the wrong people. He had a lot of Judases and people that betrayed him. And uh, once again, we go back to the situation with the ministers and things like that that were running back to Elijah, put Malcolm in a very sticky situation with speaking to them. And none of them uh, left with him. None of them saw anything wrong with what was going on, criminal behavior, or any of that. It was like, hey, we, we're profiting off of this criminal organization and we're not going anywhere. As long as it's making money, we cool. And we don't want you staring up the government, bringing any closer looks into our criminal behavior. So you need to fall back on some of this political stuff you're talking and teach the religious teachings of the nation of Islam. And even Joseph X said that he tried to, you know, push Malcolm in that direction to talk about the religious teachings of the nation of Islam. But Malcolm struggled with that. You, you will be hard pressed to find uh, outside of like the mid 1950s and stuff like that, getting into the sixties, you'll be hard pressed to find where Malcolm did any speaking that uh, dealt with, um, nation of Islam 
rhetoric like Yakub and all that other, other kind of stuff. He may have taught some of that stuff in the fifties and stuff when he first started uh, being a minister, but he eventually seemed to kind of stay away from the religious nation of Islam bullshit talk. We don't have too much stuff where you see Malcolm citing nation of Islam lessons, especially not in his debates where he was slaughtering white folk. He was not quoting the lessons as he was slaughtering them. He was just on a deeper level, sheer common sense, philosophical, political excellence. Man was brilliant above and beyond anything that was being taught in the nation of Islam lessons. And I think above and beyond for the most part of what Elijah Muhammad would have been able to do. And in those settings, which of course was once again, puts you in a situation where we have Malcolm outshining the master. Law number 20, do not commit to anyone. Do not commit to any side or cause except yourself. By maintaining your independence, you remain in control. Others will vie for your attention. You also have the ability to pit the sides against each other. I think Elijah Muhammad showed that he didn't commit to anyone. He definitely wasn't committed to Clara with all of these young teenage girls he had, impreg he had impregnated. And I don't think he was committed to anything really but himself. That was very consistent. Um for Elijah Muhammad, he was, he was committed to Elijah Muhammad and, uh, he was all about him. He, he was out for Delph, as they say, he was out for Delph. And, uh, I think that Malcolm, he had a lot of, um, altruistic kind of causes that he was out for political causes. He wanted to help here, wanted to help there. He was, um, you know, checking in on Martin Luther King at, at different times, even though he disagreed, but he was still, uh, checking in on the man, uh, making sure he was good. And, you know, he just he just cared about people and cared about things. He wanted everything to be good. And uh, Elijah Muhammad, he he didn't have the, the, this problem. And uh, he followed this law once again to the T, didn't break it. All right. So we'll go to the next law. Um, law 20 was do not commit to anyone. Law 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. Make your intended victims feel as though they're smarter than you are, and they won't suspect you of having ulterior motives. I think Elijah Muhammad definitely, um, you know, he played himself as a wise guy sometimes, but then they also called him the lamb, and he played himself as a humble man and whatever. So he adapted to the situation. Sometimes he was the lamb, and then sometimes he was the brave big man and things like that. And so let me also add another um, dynamic to the power struggle too. Not only is Malcolm kind of outshining Elijah Muhammad a little bit in youth and, you know, um, book intelligence. Of course, Elijah Muhammad is going to be the wiser, older man. You got Malcolm uh, born in, you got Elijah Muhammad born in 1897 and Malcolm X, if I'm not mistaken, is born in 1925. Let me see. May 19th. I know for sure. May 19th, 1925. So. Elijah Muhammad is like 28 years older than Malcolm X. Right. And so basically at the time that Elijah Muhammad is joining the original nation of Islam, where it was the Allah Temple of Islam. Elijah Muhammad, I mean, at the time that Ma not Malcolm X, when Elijah Muhammad is joining the nation of Islam with Fard and all this kind of other kind of stuff, 
a lot, Malcolm X is just a baby. 1925. Mind you, he meets Fard in 1931. You know, at this time that Elijah Muhammad has seen power struggles and cults, he and other organizations. Now, mind you, in my song, Happy Savior's Day, I talk about how all of these cult organizations, they saw the success of Marcus Garvey and all of the money that Marcus Garvey was, uh, you know, generating from teaching a black nationalist philosophy. I believe that Marcus Garvey was at minimum more genuine than these guys, if not completely genuine. Um, I haven't been able to really find anything that makes Marcus Garvey look as over the top as some of these cult leaders that came out during this time or, or as if not only over the top, but also as insincere as some of them uh, were. So he's seen Marcus Garvey's organization crumble. He's seen Noble Jirali rise to power because according to Elijah Muhammad's brother, John Muhammad, uh, he, he said he would deny that Elijah Muhammad was. He didn't say he said, I don't know if he was a Moor, but he used to go down there and listen to the Moors teach. So we know for sure that Elijah Muhammad knew who Noble Jirali was. So he saw the power struggle that pursued in the noble Drew Ali organization. And then of course he would see Fard rise to power. And then of course, Fard disappears or in my opinion was murdered sometime in 1934, but we'll, we'll get into that in another episode. We'll, we're going to do another Fard episode, believe it or not. Um, we're going to read the whole FBI document of Fard. We're going to really go in on, on uh, Fard even further. There's a lot more I want to say about that. But um, anyway, Elijah Muhammad has seen these cults come and come and go. He's seeing the power struggles. He experienced it himself after far disappears or dies. Elijah Muhammad is trying to rise to power. People are threatening his life, trying to kill him. He's into conflicts with uh, other members of the organization. Some people are even, you know, making accusations at him about certain things, you know, and making accusations about uh, at Elijah about things during this time in 1935. And he's running to Milwaukee and over in DC and, you know, trying to stay out the way and stay safe. So he is seeing all of these power struggles. So he has the experience over Malcolm, but Malcolm's youth is outshining his book intelligence, not the wisdom, because Elijah Muhammad has the experience and the wisdom. He got that lot. And then also. Um, just, you know, Malcolm is approaching this thing from an altruistic type of thing. And Elijah's mind, I've seen this a million times now. So he's approaching it from a. A whole different way of looking at it and once he's done with malcolm he's really going to be done like at one point in time where, where he's like basically telling them in code to kill malcolm he's saying yeah you got to deal with them the way moses did with his his bad ones his bad ones rather and which was basically a parable once again he never said anything directly he said it once again in parable basically to kill malcolm because this it was some type of parable i think it comes from the quran the some of the story is in the Bible, but it mainly is from the Muslim Quran, where I think Moses has to kill some folk or whatever. So you got to deal with him with Moses dealt with his bad ones. 
and whatever. And he's referring to Malcolm as that long legged Malcolm. So Elijah's also having a bit of Napoleon complex here too. It's like Malcolm is this tall guy. He's handsome. He's, he's, um, you know, he's like real tall in stature. And uh, I think he's like six, three, he's kind of like towering over folks. He's probably even definitely towering over Elijah when, you know, if he's ever standing up in Elijah's presence, he's going to be towering over him. Um, and so there's a, he's referring to Malcolm in, in these audio recordings is that long late Malcolm and blah, 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 you got to deal with him and whatever the case is. And, um, even in his last savior's day speech, he says something like, uh, when he comes out, I think this is the 1974 savior's day speech It's either 74 or 73, but I think it's 74. He comes out and he's, you know, sporting a crown or whatever. And he says, you guys really know how to make a little man feel like a big man. And all my life, I've been told that I was a little man. And I wish that all of those people could see how much of a big man I am today. I'm a big man now, pretty much is what he's saying. And so there's a bit of a little Napoleon uh, complex also going on with Elijah too. Law number 22, use the surrender tactic. Transform weakness into power. When you're weaker, surrender rather than fighting for the sake of honor. This gives you time to build strength and undermine your victor. You'll win in the end. Uh, some people would probably say he did that in a couple situations where he never really was ever responded to force with force to the white man and never, ever got victory at the end. Uh, but he surrendered for the sake of um, he surrendered for the sake of, you know, maintaining his organization. And then he, he made sure that nothing happened to it. So once again, we have Elijah following uh, law number 22 to use the surrender tactic, transform weakness into power. Um, so he surrendered to the white man and gained more power over the black man, not really over the white man, but he surrendered uh, in that uh, situation um, by not retaliating or whatever the case is. And he would never retaliate against any of the attacks that were done to them by white folk. Um, only, time that there was really retaliatory action was against black people let me speed through these laws law number 23 concentrate your forces focus your resources and energies where you'll have the most impact or get the most benefit otherwise you'll waste limited time and energy elijah muhammad followed it michael x followed it law number 24 play the perfect courtier learn the rules of society you're playing in and follow them to avoid attracting unfavorable attention this includes appearing like a team player and being careful about criticizing diplomatically. Elijah Muhammad, once again, in the Kennedy situation, he was very careful about uh, what to say, even though he condemned Malcolm in death and he condemned um, Martin Luther King in death. He had nothing negative to say about Kennedy. So he's like, hey, I can disrespect Malcolm in death. I can accuse Malcolm of bombing his own house. I can say that he deserved to die violently or whatever. And uh, even though in his teachings, he taught that there was no heaven and no hell. If you read his book, um, which book was this? I think it's called The Fall of America. He talks about his meeting with Martin Luther King. And he says that Martin Luther King died and went to hell with the white man. So he had no problem with disrespecting black people in death, but he was very diplomatic about uh, not disrespecting um, uh, white people in death. Law number 25, recreate yourself, create a powerful image that stands out. 
rather than letting others define you. Change your appearance and emotions to suit the occasion. People who seem larger than life attract admiration and power. We talked about that. Elijah Muhammad once again nailed it. Law number 26, keep your hands clean. You'll inevitably make mistakes or need to take care of unpleasant problems, but keep your hands clean by finding others to do the dirty work and scapegoats to blame. Of course, as soon as uh, Malcolm, uh, we have once again, Elijah Muhammad executing this law to the T. Um, of course, we know that one of the main assassins that uh, helped formulate the plan uh, was the guy who was captured at the Autobahn ballroom. And of course, Elijah and all of them, they lied and said that they didn't know who the guy was or who all of these other guys were. They were definitely members of the Newark mosque, but Elijah Muhammad uh, was able to keep his hands clean in this situation. And uh, he executed this law once again to the T and the murder of Malcolm X, even though we all know that uh, he did play a role in it. I'm not saying that he played the biggest role, but he did play a role in it. Uh, he was never held responsible for it, and he was able to keep his hands clean. Law number 27, play on people's need to believe to create a cult-like following. So, so law number 27 is you play on people's need to believe in order to create a cult-like following. Offer people something to believe in and someone to follow. Promise the world, but keep it vague. Whip up enthusiasm. People will respond to a desperate need for belonging. So. We know he followed this one to the T. I mean, it goes without saying followers line your pockets and your opponents are afraid to rile them. So he he really executed. I mean, law number seven and twenty seven. We have here like Elijah just. Just completely exceed. He had a very cult like following that would kill for him. He told Malcolm, the least of my followers will kill you. So he was basically uh, kind of threatening Malcolm a bit. Um, there, you know, basically saying the least of my followers will kill you um, if there's any, you know, issues. And uh, he he definitely created this cult like following. People need somebody to believe in. And Elijah Muhammad said that he's going to be that person. Um, law number 27 executed. He may have executed that one better than law number seven. They're up for grabs. Law number seven would be uh, have others do the work and you take all the credit. Law number 28. Interaction with boldness. When you act, do so boldly. And if you make mistakes, correct them with even greater boldness. Boldness brings admiration and power. And so that's what you basically see Elijah Muhammad doing, where he basically uh, saying, no, I didn't mess with the girls or whatever the case is. And then eventually, even when he was lying, he was a bold liar. Uh, and so if we make mistakes, then he would just go back. And whatever he actually predicted that the world would end a couple times and he just he just kept it moving even when the world didn't end he just kept it moving um same thing with uh his his eldest uh mistress um not uh, not his eldest mistress but she was one of the mistresses uh, i think she had four children by him uh what they call her in the nation in farrakhan's nation of islam they call her mother She's a pretty fair skinned woman too. woman too. She's light skinned. I cannot remember this woman's name, but she also predicted that the world would end a couple of times boldly. And of course the world didn't end. She talked a whole, about, about a whole bunch of UFO stuff and a bunch of weird shit, but she talked about it boldly. And uh, some of the people went for it with Elijah Muhammad being in the mothership and all that. Farrakhan also did the, did similar stuff. 
Let me keep working through these laws. Uh, we got 20 more. Uh, law number 29. Play all the way to the end. Make detailed plans with clear ending, with a clear ending. Take into account all possible developments. Then don't be tempted from your path. Otherwise, you risk being surprised and forced to react without time to think. I think that he did that pretty much for the most part. He thought things all the way through the end. Um, law number 30. Make your accomplishments seem effortless. Make difficult feats seem effortless and you'll inspire all and others and seem powerful. By contrast, when you make too much of your efforts, your achievement will seem less impressive and you'll lose respect. I talked about earlier how they were able to build the nation of Islam up so fast with all of those businesses and all of that kind of stuff. It was essentially an exploitation system, but people tend to admire the fact that they were able to have all of that going, despite the fact that, you know, the head nigga in charge was getting paid and his family was getting paid and other people were being exploited. And, you know, pretty much they were building a nation on the backs of black people, the same way that they accused the white man of doing. It was just basically the same thing and calling the white man, the devil. Meanwhile, uh, you're acting and behaving just like him. Law number 31, control the options, get others to play with the cards you deal to deceive people. Seem to give them a meaningful choice, but sharply limit their options to a few that work in your favor, regardless of which they choose. Your victims uh, will feel in control, but you'll put you'll pull the strings. Um, I believe he always did that. We're going to go to law number 32. Play to people's fantasies. Conjure up alluring fantasies in contrast to the gloomy realities of life and people will flock to you. Spend the right tale and wealth and power will follow. So you can go and read um, what Muslims want, uh, which is a, um, a thing that they had out in the 60s in terms of all of the goals of the nation of Islam and acquiring a piece of land for themselves that they were all going to live on a separate land or a few separate states or whatever. And you can see that the nation of Islam didn't live up to none of that bullshit that they I'm not. I actually think it's a good idea. I'm not going to refer to that as bullshit, but they never lived up to any of it. So, I mean, it was bullshit coming from them because it's not really what they want. They were just pretty much blowing smoke up the people's ass to get money uh, with these great ideas. So Elijah Muhammad once again executed these fantasies, play the people's fantasies, uh, carrying up alluring fantasies in contrast to the gloomy realities of life. So their reality was, you know, where they were living. And uh, Elijah Muhammad sold them a, a dream of um, them having their own land and their being a nation and all of that other kind of stuff. And um, people went for it, but you can see all of these years later, um, none of that shit has been fulfilled. Other cults have actually um, have had their own land and separate cities and stuff like that. Like the Rajneesh cult, they had their own city with helicopters, a police force, all kinds of stuff going on. And, uh, the nation of Islam never, never did that. And I don't think they ever really aspired to it. It's really about the head honcho and top guys all being rich and living off the people that are in the nation. So law number 30, 32 play, play to people's fantasies. Elijah Muhammad executed it perfectly. Law number 33, discover each man's dumb screw. Everyone has a weakness, a hole in his armor, find it, and leverage it so that you can use it to your advantage. I think Elijah Muhammad was very emotionally intelligent, as I always share with you guys. 
And I think he knew, you know, how people would react or he had a good sense of how people would react to uh, certain things. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that he he definitely had a good sense of this, of uh, uh, discovering each man's thumbscrew. And I think he had a sense of how Malcolm would react about those babies and stuff like that, because he knew that Malcolm um, enforced those the the laws that were the laws of the nation of Islam. And I guess Elijah would have known it because Malcolm would have to tell him, Hey, I had to kick such and such out or brother such and such got 30 days or 90 days or suspended or this trial coming up and that trial coming up. So Malcolm would have had to talk to Elijah about these things. So Elijah would have known that Malcolm was pure in heart. So, and also that there's stories from some of these women um, where um, it said that, you know, Elijah was kind of pillow talking and telling them that Malcolm is going to leave him one day. So, I mean, you can also imagine that too, you know, I love Malcolm, but once he finds out that I am sleeping with these teenage girls, he will depart from me. And so that kind of stuff, you know, Elijah was able to, to uh, read into that law. Number 34, be Royal in your own fashion. Act like a King to be treated like one. Act like royalty and people will treat you that way. Project dignity and supreme confidence that you're destined for great things and others will believe it. I think that both Malcolm and uh, Elijah Muhammad executed this. Um, Elijah Muhammad really took it to the a crazy level, but I think that they both uh, executed that law pretty well. Um, so I will give them both a check in, in that um, department. Um, but Elijah, he went beyond just a king. He, he really projected it over the top where people were treating him like, uh, he was uh, God in the flesh. And like I said today, there's some guy that said his grace this morning, thanking God, thanking God and well, not even God thanking Elijah Muhammad and God maybe for his food, but maybe he thanked Elijah Muhammad before he even thanked God. Law number 35, mastering the art of timing. Anticipate the ebb and flow of power. Recognize when the time is right and align yourself with the right side. Be patient and wait for your moment. Bad timing ends careers and ambition. I think that um, Malcolm understood this somewhat, but I, I got to get, once again, Elijah Muhammad perfect, perfectly executed this again. I won't give a, a historical example because I'm just going to move to the next law, but definitely Elijah Muhammad had an understanding of that. And I think he even had a book called the science of the time or something like that. Uh, I'm not recommending that you read it, but I'm just saying this is kind of along the lines of the way that this man thought. And uh, I guess I will give a historical example during the, after the Kennedy assassination, even though it was in the white in, in their teachings that the white man was the devil. He's like, this ain't the time to say it. Cause I don't want no heat. I'm in my private jet. I'm fucking these young girls. And I'm living the life. I got Cadillacs I'm in my mansion. My kids are straight. We got fur coats, whatever. My wife is over in Egypt. His wife was not even really, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this. He, his wife really wasn't even living with him because she was so upset about how Elijah was fucking around on her. She was in Egypt with Elijah's son. Um, and so Elijah just had free reign to just fuck around. Young chicks taking them to Mexico, Phoenix, whatever. He was just living the life. So, yeah, he wasn't like, hey, Michael, chill up. This ain't the time. I want to keep this thing nice and tight, nice and clean. I want no beef with the government. They killing folks. Kennedy just got assassinated. And Malcolm X also talked about the fear 
that Elijah Muhammad. Remember, mind you, these guys are teaching that the white man is a devil. They're supposed to be fearless, supposed to be able to defend themselves. But Elijah Muhammad was shook when Kennedy was assassinated. And this is another thing that took Malcolm's faith away from Elijah Muhammad as well, was because Elijah Muhammad was getting money from H.L. Hunt, big oil man down in Dallas or whatever. And a lot of people believe that H.L. Hunt had his role in the Kennedy assassination, assassination, because that's where Kennedy was hit down in Dallas. And so when Mal when Elijah saw that Kennedy was hit in Dallas, it's like almost as if he knew where it came from and that it could happen to him, too. So he actually counseled. He was supposed to speak in New York. This is how Malcolm actually ended up speaking to even make the, the statement that he made about the chickens coming home to roost. Elijah was supposed to speak and he counseled it. He didn't want to make any public uh, speaking engagements. He didn't want to say anything publicly and none of that kind of stuff. And as soon as, you know, because he, the heat was on, you know what I mean? He feeling like he could get smoked. You know, he was feared. He was fearing. And Malcolm saw him scared. And you're supposed to be the messenger of Allah. Now you shook over some bullets and it just destroyed all of Malcolm's faith in him, really. First, you got the 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 incident with the girls that's showing that you are you have like moral corruption in terms of like sexual stuff. But now you shook over something where you're not even going to stand on the principles that you even teach. So I think that Malcolm had just really lost all respect for him. And, you know, he's like, Hey, if I get in trouble for what I'm about to say, I just get in trouble for it. But I think that Malcolm, you know, he saw that fear in Elijah. As a matter of fact, yeah, I think it was in the February 15th presser that he gave. We said he never saw a man like, like Elijah was that shook that it was just like, Malcolm was like, wow. So just imagine, you know, Malcolm in the early 60s, late 50s, I believe, is referring to Elijah as the bravest man in America and all the kind of stuff running around uh, bringing people into the teachings and, you know, teaching people that the white man is the devil, blah, 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 blah. And now Elijah is shook of the white man and don't want to speak against another white man because he's afraid of the other white man. So he's like, you know, Malcolm is like really thrown off by this is really messing him up. So he really don't even believe in Elijah's no more. You know, first the situation with the girls, Elijah, not really owning up to it. He's privately saying that the babies are his, but publicly saying that they're not, not taking care of the babies. The mothers are asking for money. He's suspending people on charges of fornication and I mean, he's just, he's just being a foul nigga. Elijah's just running around like, a, kind of acting like a nigga. He's not taking care of his kids. He's not whatever. He's, he's kind of acting like a nigga. And this is disappointing. Now he's willing to kill black people anytime he needs to whip a black person's ass. But if he don't even want to speak out against a white man. That's some nigga shit. This is the stuff we see from niggas in the hood. And Elijah is running around at this particular time acting kind of like a nigga. And this is very disappointing to Malcolm, not just the moral, you know, any man can sleep around or whatever the case is. They may, you know, a 70 something year old man or late 60s year old man with the opportunity to sleep with women that are late teens or some of them may have been younger than late, late teens. But we'll say late teens, or early 20s or whatever the case is. 
there's some some men that's going to fall victim of that. And I think Malcolm understood that. But not taking care of your children, lying, kicking them out for fornication, trying to have people killed, all of this other like crazy shit that Malcolm is seeing is really where the power, where, where it becomes a problem. Because um, Malcolm is like, I think he said that, uh, you know, if if you can, he said if you can admit to what you're doing or whatever the case, if 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 a man could have, I think, seven children or whatever the case is and could take care of them, I, I could call you a man, I could shake your hand and call you a man. But once you get to lying about it and, you know, trying to kill people, you're not even, you're not even a, a, a man at all. Nonetheless, a holy man, a righteous man, something something to that degree. Something to that degree, uh, Malcolm said. So it it really became like not only did Malcolm not respect him as a holy man anymore, he was just losing respect for him as a man just in general. Like this dude is a foul nigga. So that's unfortunate, you know, that Elijah was moving like that, and then it it really broke Malcolm's faith in him. And but Malcolm. Uh, thankfully, he kept faith in himself and he continued to grow, continued to evolve and, and move way further than um, those teachings in the Nation of Islam. So we got a few more laws to go. Um, law number 35 was Master the Art of Time and we're on law number 36. The same things you cannot have. Ignoring them is the best revenge. Sometimes it's better to ignore things because reacting can make small problems worse. Make you look bad and give your enemies uh, attention. I'll just say that he didn't break that one. Um, I think, you know, he he did a pretty good job with that one too. Law number 37, create compelling spectacles. In addition to words, use visual symbols, underscore your power. What people see makes a greater impression on them than what they hear. So Nation of Islam building temples everywhere. They got restaurants, laundry mats, all kinds of businesses and stores and storefronts or whatever. It was a spectacle for people. You know, banks and grocery stores and all this other kind of stuff that they're building. Elijah Muhammad opening up all of these businesses and private jets and riding around in electric cars and all of that. It was a spectacle, especially at that time, for a black man to wield that much power. And with all of these people sharp as I don't know what. Brothers in the Nation of Islam, sharp as a tat. You touch a brother in one of them suits, you might cut your finger. They are so sharp. The brothers are sharp in the Nation of Islam. Bow ties are on clean cut, discipline can can throw down all of it brothers in the nation of islam especially at that time that was a spectacle to see them brothers lined up and drilling them brothers in the nation of islam drilling at that time that would have to be a sight to behold we didn't have any military or anything like that besides the white man's uh you know so-called white man's military where you see a brother in uniform but these brothers were uniformed in suits and sharp and moving in unison, following commands and, you know, had a little, you know, something, you know, a little bit of intelligence with reciting these lessons and stuff like that. These brothers were were unique in, in, in some ways. So I think that he created a spectacle out of the fact that he was able to clean up people that society had rejected, convicts, criminals, and murderers, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Thieves, you know, Elijah Muhammad, giving credit for cleaning them up the problem is is once he cleaned you up if you try to leave the nation of islam you could get yourself killed so if you if you if he does clean you up you owe him for life damn near uh because that's the way they they carried it with malcolm so 
It's, it's kind of a crazy thing. If Elijah Muhammad cleans you up, ugh, it's no no turning back from there. It's like they have the right to kill you because they cleaned you up, so to speak. Isn't that crazy? Some people that, you know, that's some people's thinking with this stuff. They, they now have the right to murder you or whatever because they cleaned you up. Law number 38. Think as you like, but behave like others. Don't make a show of being different or people will think, uh, think you look down on them and will retaliate against you. Um, I would say that Elijah executed that mostly with the Kennedy thing. Once again, he didn't want to be on the opposite side of the black community or on white sympathizers during that time. Law number 39, stare up borders to catch fish. Always stay calm and objective. When you get angry, you've lost control. But if you can make your enemies angry, you gain an advantage. I think that Elijah Muhammad never really seen him give an angry speech once he rose to power. I think that he pretty much always kept his cool, even with the situation with Malcolm. He was no, he wanted him dead, and they didn't like every all the things that he was saying. He was he was cool about it. He took violence and he died violently. I think he bombed his own house, you know. So that's kind of what you know the way Elijah Muhammad was carrying it. Um, let's keep it moving. Law number 39, stir up the waters to catch fish. Always stay calm and objective. When you get angry, you've lost control. But if you can make your enemies angry, you gain advantage. Law number 40, des despise the free lunch. Use money and generosity strategically to achieve your goals. Use gifts to build a reputation of generosity and also to obligate people to you. Definitely Elijah Muhammad did this. He gave Malcolm a couple of gifts or at least a house. He would let Malcolm drive his car sometimes and some things like that. And of course, you know, really these were gifts, but they were still being used in the service of Elijah Muhammad. So this is why Malcolm didn't even put the house in his name. He left the house in the name of the nation. And of course, the house was for him to have a place to live while he was preaching and being a minister in Harlem. Him letting Malcolm drive his car was essentially Malcolm still doing work for the nation of Islam. So these were gifts and, and little favoritisms that would make Elijah's kid jealous, kids jealous because they, they were jealous of Malcolm. I don't even think Elijah let them drive his Cadillac, his car, whatever, whatever kind of car it was. I think it was a Cadillac. So that did make them jealous and it did kind of give Malcolm um, a little bit of thing. And it, it kind of, you know, put him in competition with Malcolm's kids and made them want to draw closer to him, too. You know what I mean? Because sometimes parents can, kids can be like, ah, oh, we could, they can be very familiar with their parents. You know what I mean? They could be real familiar with their parents, but having this opposition from somebody that's supposed to be a quote unquote outsider, and that definitely hurt Malcolm's feel, feelings at one point in time when they referred to him as an outsider because he really felt like he was a part of Elijah Muhammad's family. Um, I can't remember who was it that referred to him as an outsider. It could have been Elijah Muhammad himself, but somebody in the quote unquote royal family or Elijah Muhammad's family referred to Malcolm as an outsider. And it, it actually kind of hurt Malcolm's feelings a bit. Um, so, yeah, Elijah Muhammad definitely did that and despised the free lunch. I don't actually think they were able to take welfare and stuff in the nation of Islam. So I'll just add that in in there. Um. Law 41, avoid stepping into a great man's shoes. If you succeed as a great leader or famous parent, uh, find or create your own space to fill. Sharply separate from the past and set your own standards. Or you'll be deemed a failure for not uh, for not being a clone of your predecessor. So I think that Elijah Muhammad executed this one and, uh, and Malcolm X 
once again, uh, he, he didn't succeed in this one. Uh, so say, for instance, Elijah Muhammad is pretty much never, ever compared to Fard. Um, he's never really uh, compared to Fard. He's he is not in really in Fard's shoes. So he's not really seen as a as a failure in that aspect, whereas at this time they were trying to say that Malcolm was trying to take Elijah Muhammad's spot. So once again, another perfectly executed law, <laughs> law of power um, on Elijah Muhammad's behalf. Um, that's law number 41. Avoid stepping into a great man's shoes. Law number 42. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. <coughs> Trouble in the group often starts with a single individual who stirs the pot. Stop them before others succumb to their influence. So, of course, um, we see in the situation with Malcolm that a lot of people were beginning to leave. And so <coughs> Elijah Muhammad, he wanted Malcolm out of the picture. I personally believe that Malcolm knew more than he had shared so far, especially with the um, the rigor and um, the intensity in which the nation of Islam was seeking to kill him. Seemed to be about more than anything that would have been legal, like a scandal or something like that. Like there was illegal activities. Um, that Malcolm knew about and he called it a criminal organization for a reason. And I feel like if Malcolm would have begun to talk more and more about the criminality, you know, it could have led to more and more consequences, et cetera. And so they really wanted Malcolm dealt with. And um, I think that um, they were allowed to deal with them without facing consequences. And so, um, you know, that's just the kind of the, the way that one was executed. Law number 40, despise the free lunch. Um, no, I'm sorry. Let me, I already read that one. So we past 40. We are, we did avoid stepping into a great man's shoes. We did num number 42. So we're going to go law 43. Work on the hearts and minds of others. Win others' hearts and minds, play on their emotions and weaknesses and appeal to their self-interest. You'll have them eating out of your hand and they'll be less likely to turn on you. So this is kind of like what Elijah did with his ministers. I mean, almost none of them left. None of them left. So he executed this perfectly um, with his ministers um, to the point where he, he was above right and wrong or any type of moral um, responsibility. So we have, uh, so that was work on the hearts and minds. So number 44 Disarm and infuriate with the mirror effect. Seduce people by mirroring their emotions and interests. Create the illusion that you share their values. They'll be so grateful to be understood that they won't notice your ulterior motives. So I think he also did that somewhat with Malcolm. He shared the he created the illusion that he shared the same values as Malcolm. And uh, Malcolm for many years, unfortunately, believed that shit until he got the rude awakening that they didn't have the same values law number 45 preach the need for change but never reform too much at once talk change but move slowly evoke revered history and cloak your changes in familiar rituals too much change is unsettling and will spark backlash so one thing about interesting thing about the nation of islam is that really for the most part 
he didn't change too much. He kept it very similar to the church. They met on Sundays. They came there in suits, which is like Western attire. Um, he preached himself almost like in a Baptist style in his early days before he became like completely this alien mystical figure. But in the early days, the younger Elijah Muhammad preached almost with the style of a Baptist preacher um, before his health began to you know wear on him. And he became a little bit less. Um, he wasn't as good of a speaker as he was when he was younger. So he just kind of relied on his otherworldly type mystical um, swag, so to speak. Um, but in his younger days, he preached like a Baptist minister. So he didn't change a whole lot from the church. They preached from the Bible and the Quran. Um, it, it, it was basically almost like Muslim church, so to speak. Um, it was pretty much like Muslim church. Um, so he, he didn't change too much, even though he talked a good game about changing. He never did a lot of the stuff that he talked about changing the separate land, all that other kind of stuff. He never did it. Law number 46, never appear too perfect to forestall or mitigate envy, admit to a flaw or weakness, emphasize the role of luck or downplay your talents. If you don't recognize and nip envy in the bud, it will grow and the envious will work insidiously against you so i definitely think that um he did this also to a team um his ministers and stuff knew um he had weaknesses and stuff his ministers knew um now he may appear a certain way to his followers and stuff like that but his followers for the most part weren't really a threat to him it would have been people in his organizations or people that were close to him uh people that were like immediately close to him that would have been able to unseat him or something like that um and they they weren't so they weren't really looking to do it because he never appeared to be um too perfect so this is a um another one in which Elijah kind of nailed it. Now you have somebody like Malcolm go and listen to Farrakhan talk about Malcolm. He talks about how Malcolm, he never seen Malcolm chew gum. He never seen Malcolm um, wink at a woman that Malcolm woke him up at five o'clock every time that he stayed at Malcolm's house to pray. And so these are things that Muslims are supposed to be doing anyway, but because Malcolm was doing this thing perfectly, it like resonated with Farrakhan. It like stuck out, stuck out to him that Malcolm was actually living the Muslim life, eating one meal a day, um, fasting, praying, all of these things, which Muslims are supposed to be doing anyway. These were like amazing things to, to Farrakhan that Malcolm was actually doing this. So, you know, in some ways, a lot of them saw Malcolm is too perfect. A, a lot of these ministers were like stealing out of the treasury. They had little side hustles like, um, say Joseph X who, you know, originally liked Malcolm, but would begin to hate him even more like hate him to his, he just hated Malcolm at, at a certain point, um, to his dying breath. He hated Malcolm. I think his last words, were something negative about Malcolm. Malcolm X is a traitor or something like that. And then he died. Um, he would become a staunch enemy of Malcolm. Joseph X would like, he had one car that he drove to the mosque so that he could appear poor. So he drove this car to the temple. 
but actually he was he was stealing money and he had like a Cadillac that he drove when he wasn't driving that car to the temple. And then like his house was like that that people saw was like, you know, kind of a meager standard house or whatever. But in the inside, it was just like furnished ridiculously. So he was stealing money and playing it pretty much on the low. And you had other people that were kind of doing the same things. They had all of these different kinds of uh, hustles and stuff that, that they were were maneuvering with. So, you know, these guys weren't really perfect. And Malcolm X was, you know, I guess in a sense, breaking this law um, by appearing to be uh, too perfect in a sense. So law number 47 is do not go past your mark. Um, law number 47, do not go past the mark you aim for and victory. Learn when to stop. The moment of victory is often the moment of the greatest peril and the heat of victory, arrogance and overconfidence can push you past the goal that you had aimed for. And by going too far, you can make more enemies than you defeat. Do not allow success to go to your head. There is no substitute for strategy and careful planning, set a goal. And when you reach it, stop. So. In a sense, this is where um, I'm going to say that uh, Elijah Muhammad succeeded in a sense. or he followed this law and he followed this law to the T because once he became the religious um, cult leader that he aspired to be, he had all of these followers. He had all of this power. Um, they're making Elijah Muhammad day. He's having all kinds of influence and everything that he I think it. it it went a little bit above what he ever saw for himself. Um, but he never tried to take it into the revolutionary territory. So he stopped at becoming religious cult leader or whatever. Malcolm X did, you know, help put the nation of Islam on the map, but he didn't want to just stop there. He wanted to take it into the political territory. He's like, Hey, black people need their own political party. They need this. They need that. So he wanted to go above and beyond. Where Elijah Muhammad is like, look, I got this bread and I'm forced to be the head. This is it. And we're not going any further than this. So law number 47, don't go past the mark that you aim for in victory. Uh, learn when to stop. I think Elijah Muhammad, he stopped at cult leader. For him, becoming a revolutionary, a political, um, whatever, even if he aspired to be the savior in the widest, in the wider context, he he didn't want to go into, into that uh, field. He stopped there. Law number 48, assume formlessness. By taking a shape, by having a visible plan, you open yourself to attack. Instead of taking a form uh, for your enemy to grasp, keep yourself adaptable and be on the move. Accept the fact that nothing is certain and no law is fixed. The best way to protect yourself is to be fluid and formless as water. Never bet on stability or lasting order. Everything changes. So I don't have a, a historical example for this one, but I will say that Elijah Muhammad didn't break it. He was never too stiff that um that 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 he went against this law. You know what I mean? It was just he was never really forced to bend but so much. You can say that he bended in the Kennedy situation, of course, he was forced to go against Malcolm and speak against Malcolm and essentially have Malcolm killed. So he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to stay in power. He assumed formlessness in that um, aspect. So I guess those are some historical examples, but at minimum, you can say 
um, that he never he never broke this law. So that's pretty much it for all of the 48 laws of power. Um, you guys let me know what you thought about this episode. Um, shoot me an email. Um, EL Summers 91 at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram. Um, L Summers um, on Instagram. I think it's L Summers 10 or something like that on Instagram. Um, but definitely shoot me an email or leave me a message um, in the app. You know, let me let let me uh, please let me know, you know, what you guys uh, think about this episode. I don't ask you guys for donations. I work, you know, I have a job and uh, I could probably use donations to uh, fund my research or whatever the case is. But I fund my own research. That's what I have a job for um, my currency and my donation is you guys reaching out to me, uh, letting me know that you are benefiting from this material. My donation is. Uh, former members of the Nation of Islam uh, reaching out to me in my inbox and saying, hey, this is really insightful. Or this was helpful. That would help or that was helpful. Or, I learned this or I learned that or members of other cults uh, reaching out to me um, saying that this information is helpful. So that that for me is uh, is a donation, uh, knowing that you guys appreciate and enjoy this this content. Uh, it really means the world uh, to me. So I want to thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. You all be blessed. Be safe out there. Shoot your brother email. Leave a brother a voice message uh, on the, the, um, the little podcast app. Thank you, brothers and sisters.